Praise the Lord, everyone. Well, I hope you have your Bibles handy. Get your Bible close. And thank you for standing. You can be seated. Uh, we're going to get into the Word of the Lord. And we're looking at part three uh, on our lesson regarding the Holy Spirit. How many are thankful that the Holy Ghost is real and that it is a part of our lives? And, uh, and so we're going to look at several things today. One, we're going to look at how to receive the Holy Ghost. And secondly, we're going to talk about common hindrances uh, to receiving the Holy Ghost, things that uh, often hinder us from being able to receive it, either for the first time or perhaps uh, you need a renewing, things that can hinder the Spirit from moving uh, in you and upon you. And then the third thing we're going to look at if we have time is the continuing work of the Holy Spirit. How many are thankful that the Holy Ghost continues to work in your life? Uh, it's, it's, uh, it's not just a one-time experience. The Holy Ghost dwells in you and then it works in your life. And uh, so we're going to talk about that. And uh, I don't think we'll get very far in that third point, but we're going to do the best that we can. And I don't know if we have this working. Uh, yes, we do. So we'll go to the next slide and we're going to look at a review. I hate doing reviews, but what usually happens is we, we go a little period of time in between lessons, and so I realize that uh, maybe we need to all catch up. And so let's go over what we've discussed in the past. Number one, we showed that speaking in tongues is the first, everyone said the first, evidence of receiving the Holy Ghost. Uh, old timers call it the initial evidence of receiving the Holy Ghost. However, speaking in other tongues is not the only evidence of the infilling of the Holy Ghost. It is the first, but it's not the only. And we showed the biblical pattern of speaking in tongues within the New Testament church and taught by the apostles. The doctrine of tongues is thoroughly apostolic and biblical in origin. And this year... Our church is celebrating 50 years of ministry, established 1967. This Friday night and next Sunday, a week from today, we are celebrating 50 years. I saw a survey uh, just this week that the average church that's planted in the United States lasts an average of three years before they have to close their doors. How many are thankful that we're still having church today, still lifting up the name of Jesus? And we're proud to bear the distinction of apostolic tabernacle. How many saw the new sign out there? And uh, it says apostolic right on it. We, that's not an accident. That's not something that we just do, uh, you know, to have a unique name that makes people ask, what does apostolic mean? Or as most people say to me over the phone, what is apostolic? That's what most people say when, when they're not familiar with the apostolic faith. And, and you know what? It gives me an opportunity to explain to people what it means to be apostolic. And, uh, and we're proud of that. And we identify as apostolic because we can trace our beliefs all the way back to the original New Testament church established 30 AD. That's 1,987 years ago. We can trace our doctrine all the way back to the first church. And, and that's what God intended for us to do. 
And that's exactly what they did in the beginning. We'll be looking in that in a moment. But they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine. And that's exactly what we're doing here today. We're continuing steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine. And, and by the way, not to be mean-spirited, but that's the only way you can be a church. If you're not continuing steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine, then you're not a church. You can call yourself that. But in the end, to be a church, you have to be apostolic. Amen? Amen. Number two, we demonstrated that receiving the gift of the Holy Ghost is a spiritual resurrection, and it is a required part of the salvation process. In other words, uh, receiving the Holy Ghost speaking in other tongues is not optional, but it is, a, it is a vital part of the salvation process. It's not separated from the salvation process. It's not additional to salvation. It is a part of our salvation. And number three, we discussed seven possible reasons that God chose tongues as the first sign of being spirit-filled. And number four, we discussed three biblical purposes of speaking in tongues beyond it being the first evidence of spirit-infilling. Number one, the spiritual gift and the interpretation of tongues. How many have ever witnessed a, the uh, speaking forth of tongues and then the interpretation of the, those tongues taking place in a service. That is a supernatural gifting of the Spirit. It is an operation of the Holy Ghost, and it is intended for the edification of the church. Number two, another purpose of speaking in other tongues is for personal edification and worship. Uh, if there are any uh, of you here that have been Spirit-filled a long time, you know that there are moments in your life when, when maybe you're a little cold spiritually and you recognize that it's been a while since you've spoken in other tongues. Anyone ever been in a drought like that? It's been a while. And, and you could testify with me that there's a moment, maybe it's in a church service, maybe it's when you're praying at home, maybe God just gets a hold of you in your car when you're driving down the highway and all of a sudden, you get a, a good old-fashioned refilling of the Holy Ghost. And there's an edification. There's a joy that comes with that. There's a refreshing that comes with that. And so uh, the gift of the Holy Ghost is for that as well. And number three, another purpose of speaking in tongues is praying in the Spirit or intercessory prayer. Did you know the Holy Spirit can move upon you and within you and call you to an hour of prayer and you can pray in tongues? You literally don't know what you need to pray for. You may not even know exactly what you're praying about, Sister Cole, but all of a sudden the Holy Ghost will just begin to flow and you're praying in the Spirit and God knows exactly what's happening. You're groaning in the Spirit and, and that is a powerful place of prayer. And by the way, I believe that every Christian ought to desire to be an intercessory prayer warrior. I believe that every Christian ought to desire to pray in the Spirit. It's a powerful thing, and we went deeper into that. Now, we'll go to the next slide, and I want to talk for just a few moments about how to receive the Holy Ghost. We've been talking about how it's necessary. We've been showing the, uh, the biblical evidence that it is indeed apostolic, uh, to receive the Holy Ghost speaking in other tongues. But now I'd like to talk about how to receive the Holy Ghost. So let's look at Acts 2 and 36. We all 
could probably quote it. Uh, I'll read verse 36. Therefore, let all the house of Israel know assuredly that God hath made that same Jesus whom ye have crucified, both Lord and Christ. Now, let me pause and say that this is the Apostle Peter preaching on the day of Pentecost in the upper room in the city of Jerusalem. And he's preaching to the crowds of people. And, and he says, so let all the house of Israel know that God hath made that same Jesus. Now, this is an especially pointed remark because they had just crucified Jesus. There were people in that room that had shouted, crucify him. There were people in that crowd that had, had watched as he was crucified. They had, they had shouted, if you're the Messiah, just go ahead and take yourself down off the cross. And so he's preaching to that very group of people. And of course, uh, even if they hadn't been present, even if they hadn't shouted, crucify him, the Bible teaches us today that it's our sin that put him on the cross. He bore our sin in his body on the tree. So in verse 37, now when they heard this, they were pricked. Everyone said convicted. They were convicted, pricked in their heart, and said unto Peter and to the rest of the apostles, men and brethren, what shall we do? Now here's the, the only time in Scripture that you see uh, basically a group of people asking, what, what do we need to do to be saved? How do we reconcile this? How do we make this right? And then in verse 38, Let's read it together. Then Peter said unto them, repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins and ye shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. Verse 39. Let's read it again together. For the promise is unto you and to your children and to all that are afar off, even as many as the Lord our God shall call. That means it's for everybody, everybody. And so uh, I want to look at a few things based off of, of this portion of Scripture. Uh, there's a lot of ways we could look at this, but I think the best way to look at how to receive the Holy Ghost is to look at the very first time the Holy Ghost was poured out and people spoke in other tongues. So number one, you have to know assuredly that Jesus is Lord and Christ. You cannot receive the Holy Ghost and reject the Lordship of Jesus Christ. God will not fill you with his spirit if you don't recognize who Jesus is. Number two, and we see this from verse 37, they were pricked in their hearts. There must be conviction over sin. No one has ever received the Holy Ghost who was not convicted and convinced that they were a sinner. And, and this is where we often see problems because uh, in America today, have you noticed that no one's a sinner anymore? You can talk to anybody. Nobody's a sinner. Nobody feels convicted over sin any longer. But you must begin with conviction over sin, recognizing that, that I'm a sinful person. I've wronged God. Uh, you know, you don't have sometimes we talk about the vilest of sinners. And, uh, and so we immediately think of of murderers and all of these kinds of sins that really seem 
especially heinous to us. But in the end, we have all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We've all offended God with our lifestyle. We, not only were we born into sin, but uh, even the sins that we don't think are especially sinful are still offensive to God. And the problem is we don't view sin through the lens of God. We view sin through the lens of our opinions. And that's why God gave us his word, because we can't rely on our opinions about what's a greater sin than another sin. In the end, we've all sinned and fallen short, and we must feel conviction over sin. That, that is the, one of the first steps in receiving the Holy Ghost. Number three, we must believe that the promise of the Holy Ghost is for us or for you. You must believe that it's for you. And so uh, I was in Little Rock recently for the Arkansas camp meeting, and, uh, and I, the first night I was there, uh, they asked me to sit on the platform, and so I did, and, and then they had a, a powerful altar call, and uh, the ministers were spreading out, and they were praying for people, and I walked up, and, and some ladies from the church were there, and I, I preached there earlier this year, and they recognized me, and so they, they beckoned me, and they asked me to come over, and they said, uh, Brother French, come here. Uh, and they said, this lady right here, she, she's Baptist, and, uh, but she came tonight for the first time, and she, she really wants to receive the Holy Ghost. And, and I said, well, that's, that's terrific. And so uh, we prayed, and, uh, and she didn't receive the Holy Ghost. And I could tell that there was, there was uh, I want to say this the right way, precious woman, sweet lady, no bad spirit at all, but I could tell that she was uncertain. She was resisting. Does that make sense? She was, she was and, and, I, and because they had told me, and she even said, you know, I'm Baptist. You know, you know how people, you know, I'm Baptist, you know, I'm here, but I'm Baptist, but I want the Holy Ghost. And I said, well, great. And so when she was struggling and, and we prayed for a long time and finally I felt like the Lord just kind of dropped it in my heart and I looked at her and I said, now listen, sis, here's what's going on. You are struggling to believe that the Holy Ghost is for us today. You're struggling to believe that it's for you. This is your first time around all of this. And she said, but I do want it. And I said, I know, I believe you. I'm not I'm not calling you a liar, but what I am saying is that you're struggling because you've spent your whole life believing that the Holy Ghost is not for us today. It's very difficult to break past that, that kind of traditional thinking uh, just in a moment. Sometimes it takes a while for that mindset to change. And I said, so here's what I want you to do. I said, uh, I want you to go home tonight, and I want you... Uh, to open the book of Acts, I want you to do a word study in your Bible, and I want you to look at every time the Holy Ghost was poured out. And I want you to read it, and, and I want you to look specifically at, at Acts chapter 2 and verse 39, for the promises unto you and to your children and to all that are afar off, even as many as the Lord our God shall call. I want you to look at that scripture, read it, really pray about it, and then I want you to come back tomorrow night if, if, the, if the Lord convicts your heart as you're studying his word, and he will, I want you to come back tomorrow night ready to receive the Holy Ghost. And so, sure enough, uh, we had a, a powerful uh, service that last night. Uh, they had, uh, in, in fact, they did a, a special push for people to receive the Holy Ghost. And, uh, and it just so happened, I looked over, and people were everywhere praying. And, and uh, 
about 30 minutes into the altar call, I looked down the aisle and I saw that lady with her hands lifted speaking in other tongues. So you have to, you have to believe that the promise is for you, for us, for everyone, that it's not just for some people. It's not just you know, a kind of an additional gift that some people get. That's the mindset uh, that is difficult for some people to get past. Number four, and this one is vitally important, you must genuinely repent and turn away from sin. Now, that's kind of a redundant statement because repentance is, in fact, the turning away from sin. Most people don't understand that. Most people think repentance is just saying, I'm, you know, I'm sorry, But repentance is a whole lot more than just saying, I'm sorry, Lord. Repentance is also uh, the determination that you are going to change. So if you're a wife beater and you tell your wife, hey, sweetie, I'm sorry I beat you up last night. And then you beat her up that night again. That's evidence that you never repented. Amen. All the wife beaters are getting real nervous right now. I'm just kidding. There better not be any wife beaters in here. I'll find you. No, I'm just kidding. God will find you. God will take care of you. And so repentance is the, the decision to turn away from sin and turn to God. And so the biblical understanding is that it's, an, it's literally uh, you're walking towards the world. You're walking towards sin and unrighteousness. And then at repentance, you you make a spiritual decision to turn around and go the other direction and walk towards God and to walk towards righteousness. That is genuine repentance. You cannot receive the Holy Ghost without genuine repentance. It's not possible. God is not going to fill an unclean vessel. And so that's why number five is so important as well. You must be buried. Everyone said buried in baptism. That means to be immersed. That word there means to literally be immersed in water and it must be done in jesus name not the titles father son and holy ghost look again at verse 38 every one of you in the name of jesus christ for the remission of sins and so this is a part of this our sins being washed away and uh, and so and then uh, verse 38 says after that ye shall and when said ye shall That's a promise. You shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. Number six, you must gladly receive the preached word. Acts 2.41 says, Then they that gladly received his word were baptized. And so a lot of people... Now, I understand that you could read it and believe it, uh, but in a a church context and in the original context in Acts chapter 2, they heard the preaching of the word... And they responded with gladness. They received it. In other words, they accepted it. They believed it. They embraced it. They responded to it. They weren't resisting it. They weren't running from it. They weren't growing angry with it, but they received it. And that's very important. By the way, I'm not here to teach on this, but the way we receive anointed preaching is very, very important to our spiritual health. The way we respond to it. There there, uh, there is a... Uh, There are a lot of people who hear a lot of preaching and they never receive the preaching. There's a lot of people who hear a lot of good things, but they don't receive it. It's vital that we receive the word with gladness. Amen. All right. We'll take you to the next slide. If we're still alive, there we are. Good. And number seven, and this one is important. Now, 
I hesitated breaking it down like this because I know that it makes uh, it makes it sound like receiving the Holy Ghost is uh, somehow just a theological thing or, uh, or something you really have to think hard about. It. It's really not that difficult, uh, but uh, since we're in a teaching setting here, uh, I want us to understand, uh, especially for those of us who may have the Holy Ghost and you're trying to help other people so that maybe you can identify why someone would be struggling to receive the Holy Ghost or struggling to accept the need to receive the Holy Ghost. So number seven, you need to have faith. Everyone said faith, faith, faith. You've got to believe. Acts chapter 11 and 15, this is Peter testifying of how the Holy Ghost fell on the Gentiles, which, of course, all the Jews didn't think was supposed to happen. Racism was uh, in full-blown effect in the early church. God had to root out the, re- the weed of racism, the hatred between the Jews and the Gentiles. And by the way, it was a horrific hatred that had happened for uh, hundreds of years. And so when the Holy Ghost was poured out on the Gentiles, a whole lot of Jews had a problem with it. But how many are glad, how many Gentiles are glad the Holy Ghost can be poured out on you? <laughs> Amen. So Acts 15 here. And so Peter, uh, God had to really do a work in the apostle Peter for him to even go preach to the Gentiles. He didn't even want to go to their house. But God had to give him a vision and, and go through all kinds of things just to get Peter to go there. And, uh, and no one was more surprised than Peter when the Holy Ghost was poured out on him. And so then he had to go back to the Jews and testify to them about what had happened because they were skeptical. What do you mean God poured out his spirit? I thought, I thought it was just for us. And so Peter testified and said, I began to speak. And while I was speaking, while I was preaching, the Holy Ghost fell on them. As on us at the beginning, just like the day of Pentecost, when we first received just the exact same way I'm preaching and all of a sudden the Holy Ghost fell on them. Then remembered I the word of the Lord, how that he said, John indeed baptized with water, but ye shall be baptized with the Holy Ghost. Verse 17, for as much then as God gave them the like gift as he did unto us who believed. On the Lord Jesus Christ. Everyone said believed. So Peter was essentially saying, how could I deny that this was a work of God? He did it for them just like he did it for us. How many are glad that God filled you with the Holy Ghost just like he did your your grandmother, your great grandmother? Any generational apostolics here, you're glad that it's for you and for your children and your family and for every race, creed. Every every socioeconomic status, the Holy Ghost is for everyone. And so notice that the gift of the Spirit, or as Peter said, the baptism in the Spirit is preceded by faith. Look at your neighbor and say, faith first. The NASB translation correctly says in verse 17 that God gave the Holy Spirit after they believed. Baptism in the Spirit is an experience of the spirit given after faith to faith. In other words, you don't receive the Holy Ghost to get faith. I had one person tell me one time, well, if God would give me the Holy Ghost, I'd have faith that he could give me the Holy Ghost. (laughs) See how our minds work sometimes? Well, if God would just do it, I had one person tell me one time about miracles. They said, well, if God would just heal somebody, then I believe he could heal somebody. (laughs) 
It doesn't work that way in, in, in any spiritual operation. It is faith first. Faith is vital to the process. God is not going to fill someone or heal someone who doesn't have faith in his word and faith that he is able and willing to do it. And you can't possibly receive the Holy Ghost without faith. Having faith in Jesus creates an environment that the Holy Spirit will inhabit. Now, and also the Bible says without faith it is impossible to please God. And so faith is vital to all aspects of our, of our Christian life. Now, number eight, and I, I think this one is important as well. I have never seen anyone receive the Holy Ghost speaking in other tongues who was not worshiping the Lord. Praise and worship is a, is a vital part of the moving of the Spirit. The Bible says that God inhabits. God inhabits. He fills the praises of his people. And so there's something about an atmosphere where people are worshiping and praising the Lord. God will flow. He will move in that environment. And so if someone is hungry for the Holy Ghost, one of the things I always encourage them to do is to praise and worship. Now, for those of you who are maybe uh, teaching a Bible study or trying to help someone or you have a loved one that you're trying to pray through to the Holy Ghost or, or you feel a call and, and, a, and a, an anointing to be an altar worker, let me just say Someone can praise and worship all day long, but if they haven't repented of their sins, they're not going to receive the Holy Ghost. So uh, you better make sure that you're doing that in the right order, because if you're just trying to get people uh, to, to shout and worship and say hallelujah and they haven't repented of their sins, you're just wasting your time. It's good that they're worshiping. That's great. It's pleasing to the Lord, and they're probably going to feel good about themselves for worshiping. But in the end, you cannot receive the Holy Ghost apart from repentance of sins. But, but what many people do is they get stuck in condemnation. They get stuck in the repentance process. And they never move from accepting, I've been forgiven, to thank you, Jesus, for forgiving me. What happened to the leper who ran back to Jesus and he'd been made whole and he ran back and, or he'd been healed and he ran back and said, uh, I just wanted to take a moment and thank you, Jesus. That's when Jesus made him whole. And so when God forgives you of your sins, that's one of the greatest miracles that could ever take place in your life. And you better run to Jesus and say, thank you, Lord, for forgiving me of my sins. I'm not worthy. I'm not righteous. It's not anything I've done. Thank you, Jesus. I love you, Lord. I praise you. I worship you. And God will inhabit those praises. God will honor that thankful heart and he'll fill it with his spirit. The Jewish believers who came with Peter were amazed that the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out on the Gentiles too. For they heard them speaking in tongues and praising God. Can someone just lift up your hands and praise the Lord for a moment? Hallelujah, Jesus. Hallelujah, Jesus. Hallelujah, Jesus. Hallelujah, Jesus. Praise God. All right, I have to move quickly. I'll take you to the next slide. I want to look at 12 things that uh, commonly hinder people from receiving the Holy Ghost speaking in other tongues. These are common things, and we're going to move through them very, very quickly. Number one is lack of true repentance. 
lack of true repentance. Now, sometimes it's just lack of any repentance, but uh, for someone who's wanting the Holy Ghost, many times they, uh, they're seeking and they're trying. And what I mean by that is, and, and by the way, let me give a note to people who have the Holy Ghost today. It's very dangerous, and it would, in almost every circumstance, very, very rarely, unless the Lord just really speaks to you, it would probably be wrong and hurtful to look at someone unless you just know them and know their backstory. But it'd probably be very dangerous to look at a stranger and say, well, you just haven't really repented. You're not really sorry. That would be unwise. Now, maybe if the Lord helped you and, and you were able to discern it in the spirit and do it the right way, I, I have done that. But uh, you want to make sure that you're really being discerning in the spirit because you can really wound someone. Oftentimes, they're not failing to repent properly on purpose. They just don't understand the nature of repentance. And so, and God knows our heart. And so if someone is, is uh, maybe they're sorry, but they're not making a decision before God. For, for example, maybe, maybe an alcoholic would come to an altar and, and be seeking the Holy Ghost. And maybe they're sorry they're an alcoholic but they haven't truly repented and said, Lord, I'm ready to turn away from sin. Does that make sense? Do you see the distinction there? I'm sorry I'm an alcoholic, but Lord, I don't plan on changing anytime soon. Right? That's the attitude that many people have when they approach God. And, and that's not genuine repentance. And so uh, it's very, very important that, that we surrender every area of our lives to God at repentance. That means we're saying, Lord, I want you to have complete control of every area, even the secret places that no one knows about. I'm giving you those places. I'm giving it all to you, Lord. I'm surrendering it all to you. That's true repentance. Number two, unbelief. We've talked about that uh, I, ad nauseum, unbelief. You must have faith. You must believe. And unbelief can take on different forms. It, sometimes it can just be unbelief. In, in the reality that God loves them. Amen? Some people struggle to believe that God loves them. They, 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 they carry a weight of condemnation on their shoulders. Number three is improper baptism. And uh, I see this sometimes. If you look at Acts 2.38, repent, be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of your sins, you shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. So, Oftentimes what happens is you'll have someone seeking the Holy Ghost. They've been baptized incorrectly. They've been baptized in titles. Maybe they haven't been baptized at all. Uh, maybe they were sprinkled when they were a baby. Uh, maybe it was all sincere. We're not saying that they're an evil-hearted person, uh, but they haven't, they haven't surrendered to, to the teaching that they need to be baptized in Jesus' name. And God sees that lack of obedience, that lack of surrender to his word. God will not fill someone with the Holy Ghost who is, is saying, Lord, I'm not going to receive that. I'm not going to be obedient to that. Number four, a prideful heart. Everyone said pride. Pride's a big one. A lot of people, <laughs> a lot of people struggle with pride. Uh, you know, one of the things that I see most often is you'll, you'll kind of see someone who doesn't want to show any kind of emotion, you know. They don't want anyone to see them you know, ever get in, ruffled at all or anything like that. Well, let me tell you, when, when you recognize you're a sinner and you're truly sorry 
and you're hungry for salvation and you realize that your eternal soul hangs in the balance and it's you're making a decision between heaven and hell. When you get to that place, it's going to be an emotional time. And if you can be emotional about someone uh, throwing a football, you can get emotional about your eternal soul being saved from damnation. You can get with God and say, God, Lord, Lord, I'm, I love you. And, and you can surrender to your emotion. Listen, I don't care who you are. I don't care if you're the toughest person on earth. I don't care if you're the chillest person in the world. There is something that gets you emotional. You know, I, I, I know a guy. A friend of mine, he doesn't get excited about anything, but the moment he starts talking about cars, man, he, he gets a little tear in his eye. Start talking about cars, and his lip starts quivering. Oh, there's a GTO with a 457 and an 8 block in the bottom. Well, I don't even know what I'm talking about. It doesn't even mean anything. And then he just, I mean, it's like he's getting the Holy Ghost when he talks about it. And then one day, I, I, we were in church, and I said, man, what's wrong with you? You never worship in church. Oh, I'm just not emotional. I said, what are you talking about? You just talked to me about cars all the way here and practically cried and spoke in tongues. Then you get to church, and you can't give God anything. Listen, when you're serious about God, you can have an emotional experience with God in the presence of God. You're not going to care who's looking. Amen. When it's something you really love, you don't care what people think about it. When it's something you really care about, and you can figure it out fast. You can figure out what someone is really, really emotionally invested in. Because they may not care about anything else but that one thing. And so if, if you can't get emotional about God and surrender your emotions in the presence of God, then, then you really need to go back and check your priorities and figure out where you're laying your treasure up. Number five, distractions. Everyone said distractions. This is why I think it's so important that we reverence the house of God and the house of prayer, reverence an altar service, and uh, I think it's why it's so important that uh, when, when we're having a spiritual moment, uh, wherever that is, even if it's not at church, anywhere, that we do our very best to not be distracted, not be talking to one another, not be, uh, not be telling jokes, not be on our cell phones, not be you know, thinking about, you know, whether or not we're going to get Zaxby's or McDonald's for lunch, but, but that we be doing our best to create an environment where people will not be distracted because uh, the enemy will always try to bring a distraction when the Holy Ghost is moving to get people's minds off of Jesus because you have to have your mind on the Lord. And if you can get your mind focused on some noise over here or something uh, crazy happening over there, uh, then it can distract you from what God's doing. And so distractions are, are something that we need to try to do our best. Now, I realize God can push through distractions. I'm not limiting God. I'm just saying that that's a wise thing to do. Number six, failure to seek and surrender. If you don't seek the Holy Ghost, if you don't, uh, if you don't make an effort to receive the Holy Ghost, if you don't surrender your heart and your life, God isn't going to just force the Holy Ghost on someone. You can't sit on the back row with your arms folded and say, well, God, fill me with the Holy Ghost, and it doesn't work that way. You have to be seeking the Holy Ghost. You have to be hungry for the Holy Ghost. On the day of Pentecost in the upper room, they'd been there a long time praying, seeking for the promise. And so you've got to be waiting on the promise, seeking for the promise. And, and by the way, let me just add this. They were a long time in that upper room before the Holy Ghost was poured out. And a lot of times the way we approach uh, the moving of the spirit in modern churches is uh, we're all so busy trying to trying to get to lunch that when we have an altar call 
if, and we're kind of looking at our watch. Well, God, if you don't start pouring out something in the next five minutes, we're going to, you know, we got stuff to do today. Sometimes you have to seek the Lord a little while. Sometimes you have to tarry in his presence for a little bit. Sometimes you have to wait on the Lord and he shall renew your strength. Amen. Run and not be weary. Walk and not faint. Praise God. And so we have to surrender to that. All right, I'm closing. Lack of worship. Everyone said lack of worship. Lack of desire. Irreverence. God will not fill an irreverent heart. Disregard for spiritual authority. I could talk about that one for a while, but notice when the Holy Ghost was poured out, the Apostle Peter was preaching the word. There was spiritual authority. It was poured out under the umbrella of spiritual authority. If you have no respect for a man of God, a preacher, or a pastor, uh, and you don't have any kind of spiritual authority in your life, God is not going to honor you with his spirit. God doesn't work that way. He works through uh, the chain of authority. Fear. Many people fear the Holy Ghost. They're afraid of what will happen. And then condemnation, people who are loaded down with condemnation because of their past. Let's stand together. I'm, I'm, I've gone too long, and I didn't get far enough. Do not let condemnation keep you from the gift of the Holy Ghost. When the enemy starts whispering condemnation in your ear, if you've repented and you've turned away and you desire it, you rebuke the devil and tell him, God's forgiven me. God's doing a work in my life. Devil, you're a liar. I don't, I'm not listening to you. I choose to believe the report of the Lord that God is an ever-present help in the time of trouble. He's a friend that sticks closer than a brother, and he's faithful and just to forgive all who have repented of their sins. Let's lift our hands. Lord, we love you today.